Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Uh, my, my joy um, is that I get updates, uh, emails every week, and get to find out what happened here on the weekend and other things going on uh, at Tri-City. And so I know the good things that are happening here, and being able to join you on this Sunday is my, my privilege. Uh, the task that I was given today was to bring a New Year's reminder of sorts or a, a challenge. And so what I'm going to do to accomplish that with you is to take you to the book of John, John chapter 15. And so if you have a Bible in whatever form it takes, we're going to look through the first 17 verses. But this is how we're going to do this. I'm going to read through the text. It's a lengthy text. It's a big chunk of text. But I'm going to make some stops and starts along the way just to make sure we're all on the same page. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to highlight some things, maybe even create a little bit of tension. And then we're going to double back on it. We're going to ask three questions to help unpack it. Then we're going to respond to it. All right? So if that's okay with you, let's begin with verse 1 where John, recording the words of Jesus in the upper room, begins with, I am the true vine. I want you to note that word true. I told you we're going to stop and start on the way through a lot, a little bit here at the beginning. But I am the true vine, true and important word to note because it suggests that there's a false vine out there somewhere. So we'll come back to that. Jesus goes on and states in verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser. So the father is the gardener, he's the tender of the vineyard, he's the tender of the vine. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This verse invites tension. This is the tension that I inferred to just a moment ago because Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away. Every branch in me, he takes away. Meaning every branch in Christ that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. The NIV records that he cuts it off, which again creates tension. How do we, how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile what Jesus says here in light of verses like what Paul writes in Philippians 1.6? It's not on the screen. You can note it for yourself. Where Paul writes there, he who began a good work in you will perfect it, or what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22, where he writes there, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So you can see the tension. If we looked at the other 360 other, four other references in the Bible, in the New Testament text, that refers to being in Christ and the promises of being in Christ, it would even create more tension. So this is important. We'll come back to this. It's too important to skip. Verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And therefore, if they're already clean, Jesus, just in context, is speaking to Christians here. Specifically, he's speaking to his 11 remaining disciples, and by association, all of those who believe in Christ. But there is a call to the cleaned ones. Just note it in verse 4. Jesus states there, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, now forgive me if this makes you a tad uncomfortable, but I think Jesus is wrong. Because can't we do a whole lot without Jesus? I mean, isn't our world full of people who have done a ton without Jesus? People who have accomplished great things, who, who not only don't follow Jesus, deny that he even walked the planet. And doesn't Jesus himself say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that it's possible to prophesy and do mighty works and even cast out demons without even knowing me? So what gives here? Well, chamber that question. We'll come back to it later. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So either you take this verse as essentially repeating what Jesus already said in verse 2 about those who are taken away, or this is a reference to an entirely different group of branches. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Huge contrast to the previous verse. The previous verse, those branches were gathered and burned. Here, this group of branches can ask for whatever it wants and it will be done for them. Dramatic difference. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So when we bear much fruit, the Father is glorified, which makes sense because who is the Father? He's the gardener. Makes sense if a garden bears fruit that the gardener would be glorified, right? If you came to my house and I had a garden that was full of fruit, right? And I brought you to the backyard and said, look at my garden. And you would go, that's a great garden. I would feel glorified. I'd feel good about my garden. So we see that the father is glorified. But secondly, we are shown to be true disciples of Jesus when we bear much fruit. But what if there's no fruit to speak of? What, what if you're a pastor like me and you start a church and no one comes? Or people come for a while and then they, they all leave. What do you do then? Or what if your marriage stinks? Even though you're trying real hard. Or your kids are off the rails. Or, or what if your, your job isn't what you want? In fact, it's, it's just full of antagonism. Your boss doesn't like you. You don't get along. You're not moving ahead. What then? What do we do with that? What if, what if we're, every time we sh share Jesus with someone, we just get rejection? What if our neighbors can't stand us because we've told them about Jesus? What then? Kind of a scary verse. Not if that's not the type of fruit Jesus is speaking of. What if Jesus is speaking of a kind of fruit that's displayed even when things stink? or when things are spinning out of control? What if Jesus isn't referring to an external fruit at all? We'll come back to that. Verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Let me repeat that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you believe this? I mean, Jesus actually doubles down on it. If you just hang a right in your Bible, go to chapter, chapter 17, where in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says this in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. 
So the Father loves us just like he loves Jesus. And Jesus loves us just like he loves the Father. That's astounding. Which is why Jesus says in verse 9, second half of it, abide in my love. Why, why would you not? It's, it's that type of love. Verses 10 to 12. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's not his first commandment, though, is it? What was the first commandment? Well, we saw it back in verse 4. His first commandment to the cleaned ones, his disciples, Christians, is to abide in me and I in you. Adding later in verse 9, abide in my love. So first, abide in me and my love, and then love out from there. Why in this order? Well, the answer is, for apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, which makes sense. I mean, why would we think that we could love others as he loves us if we haven't taken the time to abide in his love first? Verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what are his commands? Abide in me, abide in my love, and love one another. That's it. Those are the entirety of Jesus' commands to his disciples. Abide in me, abide in my love, and love one another. Don't add anything to them. Oh, you can fit things under them, Certainly, but that's the entirety of the Christian call. Abide in me, abide in my love, and love one another. Verses 15 to 17. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, doing but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There's our text. Such a precious text. I mean, such a, such a wonderful text. So much in here. So let me double back on it with the time that I have remaining and ask those questions to help us understand it more so. And again, we can respond from there. The questions that I want to ask simply are who, number one, how, number two, and why, number three. In other words, who are the major players in our text? Who do we encounter? Secondly, how do they flesh out their calls? What do they give themselves to? And then thirdly, why? What, what goal do they have? What's the end game? So let's begin with who? Three major actors in, in these 17 verses. The first that we encounter are the branches. A lot of branches in our text. Who are the branches? You and me. Jesus says, as we read in verse 5, that you are the branches, and yet there are three types of branches in our text. There are branches who abide in Jesus and bear fruit. That's branch group number one. 
Then there are those who don't abide in Jesus and don't bear, bear fruit. That's number two. And then there's this strange third group of branches who, who are in Jesus. They're in him, but don't bear fruit either. Again, lots of branches. Then there's a the vine dresser. Who's the vine dresser? Well, we already read that the vine dresser is the father. As mentioned, he, he is the tender of the vine and the branches. He's really busy in our text. We're going to note the ways in a little bit on how he keeps himself busy. And then finally, there's the vine. Who is the vine? Well, the vine is Jesus. He mentions that in two places. In verse 1, he's the, he's the vine there. And in verse 5, he's also mentioned or mentions himself as the vine there. But as I mentioned in our read-through, he is not merely a vine, he is a true vine. Which, as I mentioned earlier, suggests that there's a false vine out there somewhere. Who would the false vine be? I mean, if you were teaching this text to a group of people, who would you refer to as the false vine that Jesus contrasts himself to? Well, I think you could mention that or state that it's any vine that you or I attempt to graft ourselves onto apart from Jesus. I think that would be fair teaching. I think that's faithful teaching. However, it's not fully accurate. For when you read through the entirety of God's story, what you see is that the false vine, it seems, refers to Israel specifically. God's chosen people. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as you may know, were referred to as God's vine. A couple of verses that will be on the screen behind me. We read in Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, we read very straightforwardly, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. So God called. God chose. God chose the people of Israel to, to be his vine and to bear fruit for God into the world. One author writes this, Israel had been chosen by God to be such a contagious witness to God that other nations would stream to her to find out more about this amazing God. So what's the issue? She failed in her task. She, she showed herself to be false as depicted by Jesus in that very strange scene when he enters Jerusalem for the last time and he's really hungry and he wants a fig. And he goes up to a fig tree that is in bloom, looks like it's ripe, goes up to this fig tree to get a fig, but it's bearing no fruit. It looked the part, but it bore no fruit. And he cursed the fig tree. This picture of Israel called to this has all the pomp and circumstance, but bears no fruit. So, so what does God do? If, if she failed in her task, what does God do? Well, he, he plants another vine. And who's that other vine? Je Jesus is the other vine. He's the better vine. He's the true vine. In contrast to the false vine. 
See, what God wanted his people to be in and for the world, he himself became in Jesus. Jesus is the vine that will finally bear fruit in the world. But here's the second question. If that's who, how? How how does Jesus, the true vine, fulfill his role? Well, we know the answer. Through us. We are the branches. Just take a look at verse 16 one more time. Where Jesus says, and keep that that image of choosing, God choosing his people and now God choosing his people again. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see, in the same way that Israel was chosen so too are we, to make much of the vine, so as to draw men and women to him. But here's the second question, how, as related to these players, especially as it relates to us as branches, how do we, as the branches, bear this fruit? Tri-City, if Jesus fulfills his role through us, how do we fulfill ours? Well, if you look at verse 4, Jesus gives his answer there. Abide in me, and I in you. Adding in verse 5 that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, she it is, that bears much fruit. So there's our answer. Abide in Jesus, and he in you. This This is our first, this is our primary, this is our ongoing task as cleaned ones. It never changes. If you're clean, verse 3, here's your call, abide in me. And when you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Everything else follows from it. Everything else flows from it. As I said earlier, this call even precedes our call to love. Before we are to love, we are to abide. Again, why? Well, as we saw earlier, for apart from Jesus, we can't. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, which includes the call to love others like Jesus loved us. Now, if if we're called to abide in Jesus, we have to make sure that we understand what this means. What does it mean to abide? Well, it can be translated with the word dwell. It means to make your home with. Make your home in me, and I'll make my home in you. One author calls this a mutual indwelling. We in Jesus, and Jesus in us. But what does that mean? We in Jesus, and Jesus in us. It means, at the very least, it means that there's the life of another in us. It means we share the life of another. If you are in Christ, and that life is moving in us, to stick with the vine analogy, we have the sap of another running through us. He is the vine, we are the branches. It means that the vitality of the vine is pulsating in and through the branches of the vine. Jesus dwells in us. The immortal dwells in the mortal. While our bodies break down, and they do, right, big time, 
They break down. As our bodies break down, life and light inhabit us. This is why Paul says, for example, and you can read this on the screen behind me in 2 Corinthians 4.16, that we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And why once again? For Jesus dwells in us. And we dwell in Jesus. And and please note that word in. It comes up most frequently in this text. Jesus dwells in us. Meaning Jesus isn't simply with us or for us or alongside of us, although he certainly is all of those things, but most significantly and mysteriously, Jesus is in us. And if Jesus is in us, then everything that is in Jesus is in us. Think about that. His his life, his power, and his strength are in us. His light, his holiness, his beauty, his mercy, his truth, his grace and courage and patience and hope and and love and joy and peace are in us. I mean, just notice what he says, just to give you one example of this in verse 11, where Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. At the end of his life, what does Jesus say about peace? Peace, my peace, I leave with you. His life in us. Which answers the all-important question. The all-important question coming out of this text. What is the fruit we are to bear? And to be clear, we are called to bear fruit if you're a Christ follower. In fact, we are called to bear fruit, much fruit in this text, six times. So what is the fruit we are to bear if Jesus is in us and we in him? Well, the answer is Jesus. We are to bear Jesus. That's the fruit. He's the fruit. The life of Jesus in us and through us. The life of Jesus in us and through us to the world with our joint call to make Jesus known. We're his fruit. His sap running through us. We are the branches. He the true vine. He fulfills his call to be the true vine through the branches. Galatians 2.20 on the screen behind me as well. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Makes sense, right? Grapevines bear what kind of fruit? Grapes, you're with me. Fig trees, if they're faithful, bear figs, right? Apple trees bear apples. What do Jesus' vines bear? Jesus. He's the fruit we are to bear. And and he's the fruit we are to bear if things around us are going down the toilet or just the opposite. Same fruit. 
the, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus in us. What is that fruit specifically? It's, it's love and joy and, and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, patience, gentleness, and self-control. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. And that's the fruit we are to bear in good times and in bad. How do we measure the success of a ministry? Not by its size or its lack of size but whether or not people are growing in Christ-likeness. Are they bearing the fruit of Jesus? That's the fruit. He's the fruit. And when we bear that kind of fruit, do you know what will happen? The nations will be drawn to Jesus through us. Especially when we bear the kind of love for one another that he calls us to. To follow his example of love. With the few minutes that I have remaining, let me address the question of how we abide or how we dwell in Jesus. I've talked about what it means. We dwell, he in us, we in him, this life of another in us. But what can we give ourselves to? More specifically, what, is, what does Jesus call us to give ourselves to? Well, let me give you several, several ways we we, we abide in Jesus. The first is we abide in his word. You see in verse 7, Jesus states there, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We abide in Jesus by letting his words abide in us, meaning the scriptures. We make our home in Jesus by having the scriptures make their home in us. Words that not only inform us, but transform us. That's why we memorize the word and meditate on the word. That's why we are to sing the word and teach the word and, 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 and to listen to the word. That's why we abide in his word. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides or dwells forever. You see, Jesus comes to us in his word, and Jesus makes his home in us through his word. There, there is no other way to know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. Without his words, we do not know him. Without his words, we can only imagine who he is. Daryl Johnson, a friend of mine that I've grown to really appreciate over the last number of years, he writes, I wonder if part of the reason we do not always bear Jesus' fruit is because we are not relating to Jesus as he really is, but to Jesus as we make him out to be. So we abide in his word, first. Second, we abide in his love. Jesus summons us in verse 9 to abide in my love. And therefore, we make our home in him by making our home in his love. But where do we find out about his love? By way of his word. On our own, we do not know what love is, but we are not left on our own. For the scriptures tell us that we know what love is and that Jesus died for us. 
and that there is no greater love than this, that a man lays his life down for his friends. But Jesus didn't only lay down his life for his friends for a while. It was while we were still enemies and sinners that Jesus died for us. It means that we never forget John 3.16. It means we go for walks and just consider the idea that the creator God, out of love, sent his only son to us. It means we walk in the confidence of knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. It means we join in praying along with Paul that we would have the strength to comprehend how, how, how deep and wide and high is the love of Christ. It, it means we pray that not only would our knowledge of, our, our knowledge of God grow, but, but our love too. It, it means that we don't only come to know the word of God, but the heart of God as well. For knowledge by itself puffs up. But true knowledge that leads to the higher way loves. So we abide in his love. But also and thirdly, by the working of the vine dresser. There are things that we are called to. As I've said, we abide in his word and we abide in his love. But then there is the working of the vine dresser. And I said earlier, the vine dresser is really busy in our, our text. Two of his activities are recorded in verse 2. The first being this mention of he takes away. He takes away branches who aren't bearing fruit. Just to remind you of what it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The, the vine dresser takes away a branch that is in Jesus. Huh. What do we do with that? Well, it may help you to know that the phrase takes away can also be rendered lift up. The verb translated takes away, arrow in the Greek, does mean in some context takes away. But in other contexts, depending upon its usage, it means lift up or elevate or raise. After feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, John tells us that the disciples took up, lifted up, 12 baskets of leftovers. As Jesus makes his way up the hill where he is crucified, John tells us that Jesus was forced to take up his cross, to, to lift it up and carry it himself. If this is the case, Tri-City, if this is the case, could Jesus be saying that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up? Not to get rid of the branch, but to help the branch be and do what it's supposed to be and do. There's a book called Secrets of the Vine. I think the only reason why you would ever read that is because you may be teaching on the vine in John 15. The author is an individual that uh, is more well-known through his, his book on the prayer of Jabez, Bruce Wilkinson. But in the, in the book, Secrets of the Vine, he has a conversation with a vine dresser. And let me read the following. The vine dresser told him that new branches have a tendency to, and I quote them, trail down and grow along the ground. And then they cannot bear fruit because they are lying on the ground. 
the leaves get coated in dust. And then when it rains, the dust turns to mud and soon the leaves begin to mildew. The branch gets sick. You ever feel that way? You feel that way now, perhaps? Ever felt that there is no way your life can manifest the life of Jesus? Me too. What do you do with such branches, Bruce asked the vine dresser. Cut them. I get a little choked up because I know how this ends. Cut them off and throw them away? Oh no, exclaimed the vine dresser. The branch is much too valuable for that. The, The vine dresser continued. We go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for those branches. We lift them up and we wash them off. Oh, what love. When the father sees a branch in his vine in Jesus that has for whatever reason fallen on the ground and is covered with mud, he does not cut it off. The branch is much too valuable for that. You are much too valuable for that. I am much too valuable for that. No, what the father does is he lifts the branch up and he washes it off and enables it to flourish. You see, Tri-City, the father really wants to see his son reproduced in the world. He really is committed to that. And when he sees a branch in the Jesus vine not bearing fruit, he lifts it up so it can What the vine dresser also does is he works by pruning us. To what end? That that we bear more fruit of Jesus. He cuts away that which gets in the way, that which hinders and stunts growth. He he does that. He, He rids us of anything and everything that gets in the way of us becoming more like Jesus. It can hurt though, can it? It can hurt a lot being pruned. But in that same book that I just referenced, be encouraged by what the vine dresser says there when he says the vine dresser is never closer to the vine than when he's pruning it. He stoops down and he gets close to the vine. Be encouraged in that. And finally, he works by the sending of the Spirit. If you look back to John chapter 14, just notice what Jesus says in verses 16 and 17. He says, I will, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he, there's our word, he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit who empowers and enables and births his fruit in us and through us. What a vine dresser. Like what a wonderful vine dresser. So that's who. We know our three players. That's how. That's how they flesh out what, they, what they're called to do and what they give themselves to. And then finally and very briefly, why? Why? 
Why, why are we to abide? Why are we to bear fruit? Well, one of the reasons, as I mentioned earlier, is to prove that we are disciples of Jesus. We bear fruit, right? I mean, the fruit it, it coming out of us demonstrates who we are. So the fruit proves our being disciples of Jesus with another grand reason being to glorify the Father. Both, both are important. But I'd like, to, I'd like to offer one more as you enter 2019 in this ministry. And it comes out of verse 6. We are to abide in Christ and he in us. For hell is real. And one day, all of those not grafted onto the vine that is Jesus will be bundled up and thrown into the fire. A fire that is not only real, but is never quenched nor satisfied. And, and it's no act of love to suggest otherwise. That's why we're to bear fruit for Jesus. Because people need to know Jesus. Because there's only one name under heaven by which men and women are saved. So, so that's why. And so as I close, I close by asking, what are you grafting onto? What, what do you abide in most? Where do you dwell most? So many people I know, and I know in myself as well, are so busy about so many lesser things. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? Ever working but rarely abiding? Ever planning but rarely praying? Ever pursuing the fruit of success but not the fruit of Christ in them? Are you? Am I? Can we commit, this ministry commit with the ministry I'm involved in and anytime you bump up to anybody else in any ministry, call them out to this commitment as we go into this year. Let's be people committed to abiding in Christ for the glory of the vine dresser and for the son he sent and for those not yet abiding in him. Let me pray. And so, Jesus, I want to pray along with those whose, whose hearts are leaning this way, um, maybe challenged by your words to them today, um, convicted on, on the fact that so often we give ourselves to so many things less than you. Even thinking about coming out to a night of worship or fasting for a day is a is a bridge too far. And so I pray, I, I pray for this ministry specifically that it would be full of individuals, cleaned ones, cleaned ones, who will give themselves to verse four, abiding in you, Jesus. And not simply for their sake, but for the sake of others that don't know you, for the sake of the glory of the vine dresser, for the sake of the glory of the one the vine dresser sent to us, who's in us. I pray for those individuals here and just going into this time of response who, who perhaps are feeling a challenge, a conviction of, of the reality that they have strayed from you. Maybe, they're, maybe they need to be lifted up today. I pray that would happen. Be cleaned today. Receive new mercies this morning. For those that don't know you, that have given themselves to different vines, attempting to graft onto different things, I pray that they would come to you today, run to you today.
and find hope and salvation in you today. So we love you. We thank you for your word. And now as we respond to it, I just pray that you'd be pleased with it and that we would be strengthened by it. In the great name of Jesus, amen.